you guys got your coffee ready because this is a special, I don't want to say emergency, but unique Strictly Stripes podcast. We don't normally tape this late, especially on a Wednesday, but with what just dropped in the Bengals front office, I think we have to because the Bengals are paying Orlando Brown, paying the man. It's funny. I'm just going to admit this for people listening. We pre-taped the pod before this. But that's out the door because Orlando Brown changed all of that. He gets a four-year deal, over $64 million. And, guys, I'm just going to jump into it. Did you see this coming? I, If you had told me they were going to do this, I'd say, no way, Jose. How about that? No. Um, you know, I so, I, I mean, I feel like we could just kind of say we talked about whatever on that podcast and just say that we predicted it on the previous podcast that we knew they were going to do something. Um but no, I, you know, I, I think we had kind of talked about, you know, I, you know, you saw this on Twitter a lot. Oh, you know, what are the Bengals doing? You know, why aren't they doing anything? What's kind of, what's going on? And I think now it's pretty clear why uh, they were they were kind of ne- they were negotiating a deal. Uh, you know, there was just a recent report that, uh, you know, Orlando Brown had some some pretty significant suitors in the division. Um, you know, the Steelers were interested, the Jets were interested, and now you get a left tackle. Um, and I think it's it's pretty clear, you know, there's going to be some discussion, you know, oh, well, maybe Orlando can play right side. No, like Orlando Brown signed this deal to play left tackle. You know, you saw if you've seen the quote on Twitter already, you know, he said, I can't wait to play left tackle. It's the position his dad played in the NFL. He's talked ad nauseum before about kind of what that position means to him and kind of what he thinks that position means kind of in your, in your stature of the game. It was the reason he got traded or at least a very big reason that he got traded from the Ravens to the chiefs. This was a, this was a a big, big move. And I mean, now you kind of look at their offensive line and I mean, think about the questions that we had about the offensive line, um, you know, going into that, uh, going into the season and everything like that, kind of look at this offensive line now and, and you might, I mean, the G word good, you're kind of afraid to use that considering what you've seen, but the Bengals offensive line might be pretty good right now. I agree. Yeah. I mean, this was, uh, you know, it, it's funny though. It was a kind of an all in move, especially like if, uh, they didn't land them, you know, the options were none really. I mean, this was the guy, um, they put all their chips in. Um, he was kind of the last, you know, I think headliner in, in this free agent class, the last guy that could probably, um, you know, make a difference of a couple wins, you know, in, in terms of, you know, having an impact. Like, I mean, this and, you know, the next best free agent probably available is what, like Dalton Schultz, and he's not coming in uh, with that kind of fanfare. Um, so this was a this was a huge, huge swing. And uh, I think it makes sense given where this roster is at. I think – um, you needed to do something like that, even though they said, you know, they were going to let the market market kind of dictate what they did. But, you know, they're obviously viewing it as they're a we're not a piece away at defense that they, they needed that guy on the offensive line to give Joe Burrow what he needed more time, uh, more protection uh, to have one of the best offenses in the NFL. And that's the way they were going to win the Super Bowl. And so you can kind of see you know, between the offensive line, the skill players and Joe Burrow. This, this cap, I mean, is going to be, you know, you know, the last two years they paid the defensive more. It's going to obviously shift in a very quick fashion here as they invest into Burrow and uh, now obviously Orlando Brown and then eventually Jamar Chase. Um, you know, 
they see a clear path to the Super Bowl, and it's, I think, behind that offensive line uh, and giving Joe Burrow time to throw. You know, that offensive line is why they didn't win the Super Bowl two years ago. It's why they fell just one drive short of getting back to the Super Bowl um, this past season in the AFC Championship. And, I mean, to take the script out of your arch nemesis's playbook, I mean, to not only take him from the Chiefs, well, not from the Chiefs, but to get a former Chief, the team that beat them to get to the Super Bowl and win it, and to basically build their offensive line the way the Chiefs have for what it's worth having, I guess you could say, to an extent, a dynasty, that was a smart move. And that only feeds into just the narrative that Bengals-Chiefs is one of the best, if not the best, uh, rivalries right now in the NFL. But I don't I think, know about that. I, I don't know about that. But I don't know, Andrew. I, I think I, this is going to make think, for an interesting opening I day. shoring up your offensive line is a Chiefs thing. Like, but it goes back pretty Boy, far. Like, with what the, the Chiefs have done the last three years, it kind of, of an is. important position, uh, you know, the Bengals said literally like we need offensive linemen. I mean, it wasn't like this isn't a pretty, you know, pretty standard. You go all in on your offensive line. We have a really good quarterback. Yeah. Dude, so, really Duke Tobin said anybody would want an offensive tackle, but the way they did it is just, I don't know how to explain it. It just seems similar to how the Chiefs built up their stock, you know, in the last three, four years with the Super Bowl championships they have. But it's just so interesting because this good is a guy who was only a part of that. Members. I mean, good good teams have good offensive lines. I think that's exactly like well, and also and also this this to me kind of this this to me kind of reeks of a move of you know the Bengals. I, like I, I, you know, I, I think it's completely fair to ask the question, and I know this is not what you know some people want to hear. Um, was this a panic move by the Bengals? I don't know. Um, where you kind of look at the situation and say, you know, we need to do something big in free agency. Um, kind of on that ill-fated podcast that that uh, uh, Mike had made some really good points about. Like, look. You know, he, you know, obviously that's never going to get released, but he was talking about, you know, hey, you've got a very limited window to win here. And, you know, if the details for that contract, you know, they're kind of getting released as we talk, you know, they're going to front load the ever living hell out of that deal. Um, so they're really going to try and get uh, maximize that window now. But I, I just, you know, I, I think it's a good move. Um, and I think it's, I mean, partially due, if not all the way due to the fact that Joe Burrow's played seven playoff games in his career, and he's been sacked 29 times in those seven playoff games. He got sacked five times against the Chiefs. Uh, that was a loss. He got sacked seven times against the Rams in the Super Bowl. He obviously had that nine-sack game against the Titans. He's been sacked in every playoff game they've had, and I think the Bengals just kind of looked at this and said, all right, we if we have to throw everything we have to fix it, we will, and – whether that's a good move or not in the long run, I think it depends on the choice well, for money, but it's something you got to do, I think. It doesn't matter in the long run because if you win the Super Bowl, what is what is Ban- Yeah, banners hang forever. Um, and also exactly. it means you couldn't have gone into the – and I said this previously, it would have been egregious to go into 2023 with Liel Collins and Jackson Carmen as your – that's yeah. the battle you're going to have in fall camp because – Collins could not be was not healthy all of last season and could not practice in a given week, and now he's coming off a torn ACL. You just couldn't rely on that, um, right. and he struggled in pass protection anyway. Uh, now you're getting a guy where pass protection is in his wheelhouse. Uh, PFF gave him a grade of 80 plus in six different games last year. He finished on kind of a tear in the regular season. I think that's the ideal person that you want on the Bengals right now, since 
they are probably going to throw it like an infinite amount of times because they don't care about running the ball. So, well, and, um, well, and here's Brown the thing with that. Oh, go ahead, finish your point. They just Orlando Brown fits in perfectly for what the style of play that they're going to prefer. Well, it, right, and and here's the thing too. He's six foot eight, three hundred and sixty three pounds. At least that's what he's listed on on Pro Football Reference. Cordell Volson is one of the bigger guards in the league, and he's six foot seven. So that left side of your offensive line is huge. Um, you know, you're really going to have some length there. You know, you've got uh, you, you're protecting Joe Burrow's blind side with you know with some big guys who have some long arms. Um, obviously, you're going to want to move people in the run game. So I, again, I, this is a this is a pretty unique situation. Um, Considering you look at you know the Bengals and kind of where you know where they could uh, you know where they could where they could kind of make a move and you're going to move a guy who's been your left tackle for the last handful of years and uh, if if he can handle the right tackle position it's really really hard like you have to be overly negative I think to kind of feel bad about what this move means for 2023. So let me ask you guys this and this is not the negative part this is I think the the question a lot of people have is okay. You know, he he said himself through a statement he released per Mike Garofalo of, you know, I'm excited to be, in his exact words, a left tackle. So it sounds like that's it. He's left tackle. You know, you got Cordell, Ted, and Alex, you know, do the next three spots in that right tackle. You know, the, the question is, like, do you move Jonah Williams there? Do you have him compete with Lyle? Or better yet, do you just cut Lyle Collins at that point, save the cap space, make more room, and then just – Put your faith in uh, Jonah Williams and have Hakeem Adeniji and Jackson Carmen behind him, or one of those two behind him. Like, what do you guys think would happen in that situation? Well, I, I mean, Jonah Williams going on the right side. And, but do you, know, you keep Lyle Collins? Like, do you think this is a sign that they're going to cut him now that they pretty much paid I, out for I this I think they, they could, but, I mean, if they want to keep him and uh, have the luxury of a guy that you might not be able to sign a better backup – um, you know, and you've already kind of invested what you did. I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, um, but I think this gives them flexibility, but I don't think it's a question in anybody's mind that Jonah Williams is moving to the right side. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and well, so if you were to if you were to cut Leo Collins, um, which you would kind of assume at this point, I mean, like, hell, like, if you can fit him under the cap space and, you know, Leo, if you have to put him on the pup or whatever – if Leo Collins is your is your backup tackle, like if he's going to be your swing tackle, there are worse places to be in the NFL. I just don't know if that's necessarily the best use of resources. Uh, if you were to cut him prior to June first, his dead money is three point three three million dollars with a cap savings of just over six million. If you were to cut him after June first, uh, your dead money is one point six six million dollars, and your cap savings moves all the way up to seven point seven million dollars. So. If, if you were to designate him as a post-June 1 cut, kind of like we saw with Zeke Elliott today in the Cowboys, you would save a little bit more money. And I think that financially kind of makes the most sense. But again, if, if you can fit all of these guys in there, why not? You'd have to sign – I mean, I guess you could draft one, but you'd have to sign another tackle anyway. So it's like how much savings do you really realize once you have to put, you know, say $4 million in a backup that can play both spots? or something. Well, you know, Lael Collins isn't that bad right now because you've already invested the money in him. Um, now he has some time to rehab. Um, you don't necessarily worry about him being ready week one and, and being able to practice in fall camp. Um, you know, I, I think it would make sense if they cut him, but I also don't think that it's like, you know, if they have the resources to do it uh, based on what their plan is, you know, because a lot of it now seems like, you know, a lot of these guys that are free agents that they have left replace a lot of that depth through the drafts to save money. 
um, and that's the route they go. And you know, maybe Collins can stay. Well, so let, let me ask you guys this: Yeah, if if Leo Collins is cut, whether it's prior to June first or after June first, yeah, do you think that takes tackle out of the question at twenty eight? Because I don't. Like, I think that that's still a pot. Like, if you're sitting there and you really like Dewan Jones, or you really like Anton Harrison, or, or kind of one of those guys, uh, what's his name, Darnell Wright, the kid from Tennessee. That's if right. If you really yeah. like one of those guys that's going to be there at 28, Leo, or uh, excuse me, Jonah Williams is coming up on a contract year. Like, this is a contract year for Jonah Williams. So, like, I think you've got some options there. If Antoine Harrison is the best player on your board at 28, you could take him there. But I also think if you like a tight end or running back there more, you take them more. I don't think you're forced to do it. You have flex- flexibility. Like I could see him taking a tackle in the top three rounds in whatever order, uh, but taking the best player on their board available at num- at their first pick. Because at 28, um, I-, I think you want to try to maximize the value. And like a tight end probably makes mo- a little more sense just because you need to slot in. They, especially don't if you, you know if they only bring back like Wilcox, you probably want a guy that has more upside. But uh, I think in the first three rounds they probably draft a tackle. Yeah, I mean, no, that's a good question, Andrew, and I was actually, he beat me too, and I was going to ask you guys that. I mean, because we actually talked about this on the pre-taped pod that never was a pod, but yeah, I think if the scenario plays out where Lyell is cut, you know, and they save cap space, I could see them going with a project. Um, even if Darnell Wright is available, I, where he's not as much of a project, I could see that too. Because, you know, even if you need another tight end, if, you know, you lose Sample and or Wilcox, like, it's such a deep class that you can get Darnell Washington, Luke Musgrave. Like, you can get that tackle at 28, and then second, third round, front load that and get a tight end. So, yeah, I mean, like, but maybe if, you know, you have Michael Mayer on the board and, you know, you really want him and you think there's a lot of pride that comes with that pick, take it. And then, you know, if that means bringing back Max Sharping or getting, like, some other tackle later in the draft for backup depth, go ahead. But I think you can go wrong either way. I think if they pick a tackle, get a tight end later, or vice versa, get your Michael Mayer, Don Kincaid, and then get, like, a tackle later, or you re-sign a Max Sharping and take care of that on its own, you can't go wrong. And I think that that's where the Bengals are in a win-win situation with Orlando Brown is – he solves a lot of problems and question marks that we've talked about on this podcast to where your number 28 overall pick, it's already as flexible as it is. You just made it a whole heck of a lot more flexible. And so, like, and you mentioned running back too. Like, who knows? I mean, I, I doubt they're going to be able to get B. John Robinson. But if you think there's another running back that's first round material, hey, go for him too. Like, and then deal with, like I said, tight end and all that. Deal with it later. Get a running back now or guess what? You don't even have to do that. The point is, I think there's so much more room they could work with. And that's where it's a win-win. It's a win for your line. It's a win for your draft class. It's, I mean, this might be one of the, I mean, it's, I think it's a very, very early prediction, but I think it's one of the best free agent signings they've made in a long time. It was bold. It was calculated. And think about Mike McGlinchey, who went to the Denver Broncos. I'm pretty sure I'd have to look, but they got Orlando Brown for a better deal than what the Broncos paid McGlinchey, right? From what I think I'm seeing, well, so or uh, he signed McGlinchey signed a uh, with the Broncos. He signed a five year, eighty seven and a half million dollar deal, uh, fifty two and a half million guaranteed. Uh, so what would that be? And then Brown was sixty four so, million guaranteed, but he gets a thirty one million dollar signing bonus, well, which so, I no, think helps with four million total, sixty seven percent fully guaranteed. That's right. So and whatever thirty-one, I'm not going to do the math bonus. live on the podcast, but whatever sixty-seven percent of sixty-four is, that's what's so, guaranteed. 
I think that would, yeah, that's either about the same or less than what McGlinchey got. But then I also think uh, the $31 million signing bonus, which is per uh, Ian Rappaport, who tweeted about that. I think that's actually very cap friendly because, again, we're in the Joe Burrow contract extension era. So if you can get a dude and make it a cap friendly deal where you don't have to worry about paying Joe Burrow, great. Clap your hands. You, you Like I said, a win is a win. You want to make it three more wins, go ahead. But I mean, like we talked about, guys, uh, the left side is bulked up. Joe Burrow's blind side's a lot more protected. And I think the Bengals, even though it took them three years to get to this point, I think they've finally gotten to that offensive line they've been trying to build up to. I mean, obviously, it took a while, um, and they were kind of getting there at the end of last year until they had to steer course with all those injuries. But I know we talk about the pass protection, and I know we still don't know what's going to happen with Joe Mixon in the run game, but... I think with Brown, as much as uh, the pass protection is the main upside, how much do you think this helps the Bengals running game next year? Or do you think it really doesn't hinder or affect that side of the ball as much at all? No, I mean, it absolutely helps. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, you could you could really kind of and, – and I think it also depends on kind of what they do in the in the draft. Because, uh, I, I, like, I, th- I think, you know, everybody's kind of understanding now that this was kind of the plan that they were in on some of these bigger tackles. Um, and that's kind of why the money was, uh, the money was not, you know, coming for, for other players. And, and kind of, that was the, that was the holdup. But I, I think if you draft a running back, like you could convince me of a world where like the Bengals draft either mayor or Washington at 28. And then in round two, you draft like Zach Charbonnet. If you do that, like, if you just want to go like full damn the torpedoes, mode and and just you know bring in a bunch of offensive players and at that point the the death star is fully operational like th- this this team is going to be really really good offensively like the i mean and they were last year but you could make a really good case and, and a factual case that the offense is better so um there it, it's going to help the run game but it depends on what they do at running back and and obviously i think that's going to come in the draft at this point yeah, you know, uh, this this is kind of funny, Mike. I don't want to throw you under the bus here, but I know we kind of talked all week and you were like, where are the Bengals? Why have they not made a signing? And, you know, I don't want to spoil this for people who were going to hear the pod that never was a pod, but you said up How to this point. How would you spoil it for them? They they don't know they're not being, they don't know they're not being spoiled. They, they, to all these people, they, they didn't know. I I said it at the beginning that there was a pod before this that never ended up being a pod. But to get what I was saying, Mike, and I'm not throwing you under the bus when I say this, I'm just, you know, I want to get your thoughts on this. Initially, before we got any news of Orlando Brown and the signing, you thought the way the Bengals were operating up to this point was disappointing in terms of not making a splash in free agency. How much does that change? How much does that flip from disappointing to, wow, you did an amazing job? Oh, I don't. <laughs> it was from a fan's perspective. I said I could understand. Like, from a fan's perspective, but, you know, yeah. Um, first of all. Second of all, I think that it was risky because if you swung and missed and say the Steelers or the Jets, which are the other two teams in on him, to wait till when everybody else is off the board in terms of, A, the position you were looking at, and B, most of the headliners in the class in general, um, you know, you had to hit it. You had to get it, right? Like, there was no... There was no plan B in terms of like, okay, we didn't get Orlando Brown. We'll get an equivalent of Orlando Brown. There wasn't one. So um, it paid off. But, I mean, say the Jets, you know, with all this Aaron Rodgers excitement, you know, throw five extra guaranteed million and, and land him. Um, it would have been it would have been it would have been a kind of a disaster in the sense like you lost out on all your 
free agents that you lost, and now you can't, you didn't get the prize that you had. We would have never known. Uh, but you know that yeah. that I think it was risky with the with the way free agency unfolded. Having said that, I mean it's I think it's a credit to my my point was is that Duke Tobin if he ha- if he didn't sign somebody or didn't do something that was aggressive was was um, you know operating under a business as usual approach that's worked for him for the last 20 years, but probably should be changed when you're one step away from the Super Bowl. And obviously he agreed because he made a, a move that I think um, gets them that, you know, puts them in that category where, you know, they're, I think, if not the favorite or one of the favorites with that offense to get back to the Super Bowl and compete for one. So, I see it as yes. I was kind of correct that the fact that they saw this as their window, this was going to be next year was their best shot. They needed a move to put them over the top. This one happened to be the last one left. We just assumed Orlando Brown wasn't on their radar, a because of the money, and you know b just because you know what he said at the combine and kind of all the, the financial limitations that they had. Uh, but they made it work and got around it. And so I, I applaud the move because I think it was the absolutely and even if it doesn't work. It was the right move. Like you know, if Orlando yeah. Brown tears his ACL or you know something happens where he's just he's disappointing, like this is what you had to do. You had to take the swing, and he did. And so I, 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 you know, fans will be upset if it doesn't work out, but you know they they try. They certainly didn't waste the opportunity, which is what I was trying to. What you know, what my whole point was. Yeah, no, that's very insightful. And, and, I, and I like what you said about how, let's say, God forbid, he does tear his ACL or he's just a dud at some point next year or beyond that, whatever, at least the Bengals don't have to sit and think, what if, what if we were a little more aggressive? What if we made a harder splash? They don't have to sit with that regret. Like Duke Tobin and those guys could say, Hey, the numbers pointed towards this guy, the signs pointed towards this guy. Um, I'm with you on that, Mike. And I know, you know, you'd agree with that, Andrew. So I, I think that's a really, that's just a really good move for them, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And I'm interested to, you know, hear from him in the coming days when he, you know, has his press conference, whenever that is. I'd imagine that would be sometime in the near future. But I just thought about something. This is actually so random and unrelated. But he wore number 57 with the Chiefs. That was his jersey number. But Jermaine Pratt wears that. So if he were to wear like 78, because 77's already taken, and so 79. I wonder if he'd have to get Anthony Munoz's blessing to wear that number because I don't know that – I don't think his jersey's retired, but I don't know that a Bengal has worn that number since he retired and went into the Hall of Fame. But that was kind of a random thought. I know I'm the only weirdo well, so, who thinks of this so at 11.30 his, at night. So his dad, Orlando Brown's dad, whose name is also, um, to make it hard on this conversation, Orlando Brown, uh, Orlando Brown Sr., when he was in the NFL, uh, he wore number 77. Um, so, you know, you, you wonder, he also wore 78, um, but he wore 77 for, for the majority of his time with, uh, with the, with the Ravens. So, uh, Hakeem Adenogy has got 77 right now. Um, and as they say, money talks. So, uh, I, I'm sure that they'll, they'll be able to kind of work out a deal. Uh, while you were talking, I, I figured out a stat, which I think people will be interested in. Um, Joe Burrow has played in his career. Uh, he has played 49 regular season games, or excuse me, 49 regular season and playoff games for the Bengals. He has been sacked 153 times in those games, and he and he has gone uh, not sacked in a game in just three of those 49 games. 
Um, so you're talking 46 times that he's taken the field. He's had at least one sack. Um, you know, you're talking about a, a three sack per game average. This is a move to shore that up, and it's a pretty aggressive one at that. So Orlando Brown just took to Twitter and said, put this on repeat, let it sink in, been below the line, no stripes earned in this business from pretending, I'd bet the house on me and my work ethic, can't wait to get to work at Bengals. And there's a video of a draft analyst that he tweeted with that tweet uh, of them talking about his weaknesses from the combine because he ran a 5.8540 yard dash, didn't have a good vertical, so uh, clearly he has his haters fueling him uh, after he got paid, but He's fired up, and I think everyone else in the Bengals front office is. And uh, this is definitely not uh, the last of us talking about him. There's definitely much more to talk about in the coming days. But I think for how big of a splash that was, uh, for a podcast this late at 11.30 at night, as I look at my clock, well, 11.28 for being exact, uh, this was well worth it. Stay with us because uh, tomorrow being Thursday, depending on when you're listening to this, we will break down the deal some more, what this means for the Bengals and the rest of uh, free agency. As we go into wave three now, time is flying, and much, much more with that. But once again, for myself, Andrew, and Mike, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Thanks for tuning into this emergency edition podcast. Catch you Thursday.